Jake Gyllenhaal, male Winona Ryder. <gasps> Same big yes. eyes, gothiness about them, yes. intensity. Hello, you're listening to The Big Film Buffet with me, one of your hosts, Alexi Toliopoulos. And joining me as my co-host, as always, is the wonderful, the wickedly talented, the one and only Jen Fricker. I love the way you say wickedly talented. Well, I embody Travolta himself, one of the golden gods of the art that we discuss in this podcast, which is movies, darling. (laughs) We are talking to you about what our What to Watch recommendations are for this weekend on Netflix. And Jen, what are we talking? about today this weekend we reckon you should get around heathers a teen cult movie classic that is on netflix right now your true feelings were too gross and icky for you to face i did not want them dead (laughs) you did too i did not Jen, I think you accurately call this movie a cult classic. I think this movie embodies what a cult is because it has such a big fan base that Mm. are so passionate after it came out, what, like over 25, 30 years ago now Mm. in the late 1980s. And how would you describe Heathers to the uninitiated? The logline of this film in one sentence is mean girls but with murders. As you said, Alexi, it's a film that came out in the late 80s and it is a pitch black teen comedy. It is so dark. Mm -hmm. Basically, you have Winona Ryder's character. She's part of like the popular group, but she's become very uh, bored with Mm -hmm. how cruel they are to the rest of the high school. And she kind of fantasizes about them dying. She meets Christian Slater's character. They fall in love. He kind of starts murdering people. Yeah. And it all unravels from there. It sounds dark. It is very, very funny. Mm -hmm. It's really quite a surprising 80s film. You know, for me, a lot of my knowledge of that era was from like the John Hughes movies, Breakfast Club, that kind of thing, where it's quite saccharine and sweet. This is not that at all. This was written as a response to those films being so saccharine. Mm -hmm. It is dark. There's a lot of swearing. There's a lot of murders. And it's a very cynical world that these kids inhabit. Absolutely. This was also a first time watch for me as well. Obviously, I've heard about it a lot because it is an iconic teen classic. I remember that poster with like Kristen Slater holding Winona Ryder in front of a blackboard. So it has like this look that poster sets your expectations into thinking like, well, this is going to be like your classic good girl, bad boy, teen rom-com from the 80s. But like you said, it is so dark. I can't even fathom this movie being made at any other point in history. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say it's an easy watch. Mm Mm-hmm. Because of how dark it is, it is very dark. So it's really for people who like their comedy pitch black, who yeah. are ready to like get into some dark areas. Mm. Because, yeah, the way they kind of talk about things, these murders, there's a bit of like gun violence yeah. in the film. Where we're at historically now, that has a completely different meaning to mm. where people were at culturally in the late 80s. So yeah. you've got to kind of flag as that. It's very much a product of its time. Mm-hmm. And tonally, it's very of its time. But it is so influential, this film, mm. across all teen movies. If you've watched a teen movie ever, yeah. it is likely being influenced in some way by this film. So yeah. it kind of feels like watching a history of cinema. Totally. I think that's what kind of like grabbed me about this film is that 
The way that it's stylized, like through costuming, through production design, through the camera even, there is like this look of like capturing that 1950s idea, that very American ideal of suburbia, mm. where we've got the jocks wearing the Letterman jackets. We've got like the Heathers themselves, which is a group of four popular girls. Three of them are called Heather. One of them is played by the great Shannon Doherty. And then Veronica, played by Winona Ryder, being like the kind of offset outcast leaving that group. Mm. But they're like these very cruel popular girls, but they all wear like those plaid push-out skirts yeah. and like their little cardigan jackets. A lot of pastels. Like a lot of pastels. Color graded for the gods, this film. Absolutely. This is for the back of the room, the <laughs> yeah. color grading on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My condolences to dogs, because you will not see any of the vivid color in this. Heather's will mean a little less to you if you're the canine variety of listener. <laughs> but it captures like this idea and this look of like 1950s America. But then it's like a satire of that for the modern age. So I think Heather's like, you know, it's a teen comedy, but it's also, like we're saying, very dark. It's surprisingly how much this reminded me of the work of like auteurs of that era. Singular voices in film that are like, your David Lynch, who would talk a lot about American suburbia through stuff like Blue Velvet. Yes. Really would capture that same kind of vibe. And then, of course, the big one for me watching this is John Waters. Yeah. Who would do stuff like polyester, I think is a real like treatise on like American suburbia as it was created through melodrama. Mm. He would have so much iconography of the 1950s, especially teenage films from the 1950s when he would have been a teenager watching those movies from like the 50s and 60s that are all like about that angst and he would kind of like imbue with like kind of very camp high camp comedy mm. I think the camp is all there and this is quite a camp comedy but there is so much like dread and darkness and teen films work in this heightened world so well yeah where there are like heightened stakes mm. and I think this captures them in a really interesting way by bringing them to be literally life and death and all the dread surrounding some stuff like that that makes it so darkly resonant yes Something that really spoke to me in this film was this sense of alienation. Mm -hmm. And when you are a teenager, yes. there are moments where you're like, I don't relate to anyone and, you know, who are my friends? And I think that's one of the reasons that this movie is so timeless mm -hmm. is that that is always going to be something that teenagers across all history can yeah. kind of relate to is like looking at your parents and being like oh they're not the perfect people mm -hmm. that I thought looking at what the future could be and wondering how you fit into that and then maybe having that moment where you kind of realize that the people around you aren't going to be in your life forever yes how that manifests in this film is Veronica wanting to kill friends yeah and i gotta say everything you've just talked about is so powerfully embodied by like this rock star of a movie star which mm. is winona Ryder, yeah. who is just so with this film coming right hot on the heels of beetlejuice she embodies like this kind of gothy outsider you know, she's already in that Tim Burton world. Now she's doing it again in a much like darker cult classic. Mm. And this was a part that she 
really chased after. Really, she went after this role because this script kind of existed. It was out there. People knew about it. But she was in Beetlejuice, so she kind of liked this dark material. But because that's such a big, funny like movie and pretty mainstream for something as weird as that, mm. she was kind of being pushed more into a mainstream movie star direction, especially like Teen Idol thing. Yeah. And then she was like, that's not me. I am this gothy person. This is the movie that I want. And so she jumps on it. And I think like, you know, Winona Ryder to me is such a fascinating actor, such a fascinating star because she has like this huge movie star career around this time. Mm. And often it's playing like really interesting, young, independent women that are different from everyone else around them, are kind of like out of time or out of sync, Mm. but they are like so strong and so strong of valued. Like to me, as much as I love the new Little Women adaptation, the Greta Gerwig one with Sasha Ronan, Winona Ryder in Gillian Armstrong's adaptation of Little Women is my Joe March. Mm. Like, because she captures like that kind of theater girl energy, that goth energy that like makes that character sing so much for me. And I think that she like embodies everything. She's yeah. like such a singular actor and movie star that I'm so glad that she's like had like this cultural revitalization and like this new arc of her career now that when people go back like we have this week to rediscover Heathers you can just understand so fully who she is as not just a cultural icon but like as an actor building on what you're saying like I've been thinking about it a lot, like the difference between like cinema Mm -hmm. and TV, because I guess Mm. the way like I've been consuming pop culture and stuff over the last year, like most of us have, has been like at home via like TV, via like the Mm. internet, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Everything kind of on a small screen. And what you're saying about how she's such a singular actor really speaks to me because she's really cinematic in her performance like it's so small and i feel like when you watch teen movies now they're these very big kind of broad paintings Mm. they're really trying to sell you this idea of like yeah i'm hot but i'm insecure or whatever and for winona ryder it's like you see her in these films like edward scissorhands Mm -hmm. and stuff like that where she's she's so striking on screen And her performance is so intimate and small. Like, you have to lean in. But Mm. she's so incredible to watch that every single, like, movement of, like, an eyebrow or the way she looks, her eyes and stuff like that, it's all so fascinating that she really doesn't have to, like, do a lot for Mm. you to be completely pulled in. And, you know, like... In this film, the premise of her character being like, I'm a mean hot girl <laughs> who hates her friends and wants them to die. Yeah. For that to be pitched as like a lead character and to make that likable, for mm. you to want to like root along for her yeah. is so hard. And I feel like that's also why like she's such a singular talent because she can just carry that off. And then pair that with Christian Slater, Oof. who is, I get it now. You know what yes, I mean? Yes, like, absolutely. I, culturally, I was aware that he was hot. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But yep. I'm a, we get I'm it. A, the guys are hung. The guys are starred the guys are spunk we'll yeah. say it on yeah. the record we are believers of the christian faith which yeah. is the christian slater faith <laughs> okay we're <laughs> christians on this podcast but the two of them i'm like this is incredible to watch yeah. just next to each other because so I think hot they have, so charismatic so much chemistry absolutely and they both have like this satirical energy that's mm. like innate to them mm. and i think slater this is a breakout role for him too and he 
does like this kind of parody, this impersonation of Jack Nicholson. Yeah, he totally. He does like this Jack Nicholson Greetings thing. and salutations. Oh, that's good, Thank dude. You. Greetings and salutations. It's me, Christian Slater <laughs> and Jack Nicholson talking is- through the same freaking head, okay? <laughs> We're the same freaking guy, okay? And I think like he captures like that dangerous Jack energy, mm. that devilish charm of Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And I think like he does that here and then he does that for 40 years. Yes. <laughs> he does that yes, like yeah. forever. Because I guess that's what people want from him. Mm. Yeah. Because he's such like an innate bad boy mm. and he's just got that charm and energy and he does this thing in this movie that blew my brains into the dust I'll say because I had never seen this before and it was such like an interesting thing and I wonder if it's on a script level uh, Mm -hmm. by Daniel Waters who was the writer of this film Mm -hmm. or if it was in the performance and like finding it in this where he's got this weird relationship with his dad his dad's kind of like an absentee father Mm -hmm. who is like a multi-millionaire corporatist his dad's trade is that he's a demolition Mm -hmm. man he blows up buildings and he thrives on that he lives on it, he thrives on it. And it's a real 80s idea of capitalism. Mm. You know, they've got a big minimalist house, lots yeah. of marble and black like yeah. furniture and it's very cold. It itself is kind of like commentary on like the John Hughes like exemplification of like Reaganism, you know, Reagan era Republican politics in those films. Mm. But then they have this dialogue exchange where they call each other father and son and they mm. like play but they swap it right? they swap it around where the dad's calling him oh hello father how are you and would, I've got a girl you'd like like you know playing around with it and I was like I hadn't seen that before and it felt like such an interesting way to like get into these characters mm. these two people are kind of close because they are father and son but there also is like this gap between them so they have to play the games to even be able to get into like like yeah. what a regular father and son relationship like is. Like they're representing to each other an idea of family rather than yeah. like existing in a family dynamic. And I thought this is just some rock star movie stuff, dude. The whole film has this like real edge to it mm. where you just are like, it feels dangerous to us. Really, it does. And because, like, you know, Winona Ryder's character could so easily be unlikable, mm. because Christian Slater's character is so anarchic Mm. that you kind of feel a bit on edge like there's an anxiety to this film that like makes it really compelling and as audiences watching movies today i think because there's so much competition for Mm. like audiences and keeping people involved we don't usually get that kind of tension and anxiety like I don't know. I did keep feeling at moments watching this film, I was like, do I want to turn this off? Is this mm. actually too much? I would say that it took me a minute to like buy into things. Like mm. it was, I didn't warm to this movie straight away, but by the end of it, I'm like, this is a new favorite for me. Mm. This is a real new teen favorite. The design is incredible. Mm, I think you see through that design, like kicks off stuff that come later on in the next decade, like Clueless looks yes. like this. And that's still kind of modeled in the 50s and then the 80s as well. Mm. And then the darker kind of like teen movies that are like kind of in the realm of like, you know, dark stuff like horror. But yes. they're still more so about like the dynamic of teen groups than stuff like your Halloweens or Nightmare on Elm Street. Like The stuff. Craft. Like obviously it's like kind of a horror supernatural. Mm 
natural film, but it's also about being like a teenager yeah. and trying to figure out who you are and fitting in within a dynamic and feeling that alienation. It's yeah. really interesting to watch this movie because it exists in like an amoral universe. Mm-hmm. When I was watching this film, I really could see the history of cinema mm. from that point. Yeah. Like, for example, yeah, you mentioned Clueless before yeah. and like you see it in the Heather's uniform. They all have these individually colour-coded like identities. One of them mm. is red, one of them is yellow, one of them yep. is green. It really reminded me of Clueless mm. with the main character Cher and she's got her like kind of big shoulder paddy plaid blazers that she wears to school and yep. stuff like that. And it's like a social identifier and you're yeah. like that definitely feels like it came from Heather's. Yeah. You know, it was made about six years afterwards. So. And I think the language as well, there's something in the use of language and mm. like the odd vocabularies that kind of translates into like where 90s teen films went for a while. Another movie that really feels like is like a descendant of this film that I had a little bit more when I was growing up was Jawbreaker. Yes! With Rose McGowan. <gasps> I love that yeah. film. I was obsessed with the film. And again, so dark. So dark. Such a dark film. But I feel like that movie could never exist if Heather's didn't come in and like yeah. break the mold down for like what a teen movie could be. Mm. That we could get something like kind of even weirder with Jawbreaker. Yeah. Winona Ryder. Mm. The characters that she plays, it'd be easy to say like they're ingenues. Yeah. But there's something that's less kind of like fetishized. She's a girl that isn't really performing for men. No, not at all. Yeah. Whereas like I feel like ingenue generally has that idea of like if you're an ingenue, you're like cute and beautiful and aloof and like mm. kind of a muse for men. Yes. And I feel like Jawbreaker definitely has like a spirit of that in the female mm. characters where, yeah, they are hot and terrifying. Yeah. But again, it's really about the dynamics of women in social settings together mm. and that prison that beauty puts people in, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, we all feel sorry for hot people, obviously. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for feeling sorry for exactly. me. But, you know, yeah, <laughs> great to have friends being empathetic with my life and my struggle. I, I don't understand your struggle, but I stand with you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Classic me Googling a film while I'm watching a film. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, what have you unlocked? <laughs> well, I found out that this film was originally written as a spec script for Stanley Kubrick. Really? The Stanley Kubrick? Yeah. We're talking Stanley Kubrick, who we know from The Shining. We know from Full Metal Jacket. From The Moon Landing. From Faking <laughs> the Moon Landing. Faking the Moon Landing, yeah. 2001 African Space Odyssey, my favourite movie set 20 years ago. Mm. Okay, same year that Ghost World happens. There are People are up in space and they're on the moon looking at cool shit. And then people are looking at vinyl records in Ghost World. Do you believe that those two movies exist in the same universe? I do. And I actually tweeted that once and the director of Ghost World replied to it saying, I like this theory. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Terry Zweigoff. We love you, brother. (laughs) Daniel Waters wrote it as kind of, I guess, a dark satire Mm. in the way that like Dr. Strangelove. Oh, it was like a satire on Cold War. This is like a satire on like... The, the teen. lives of corporate America's children and yeah. suburbia and stuff. Which, like, when I was watching, I'm like, yeah, I wonder, like... What could he have done? I feel like maybe he would have leaned more into a horror thing, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. I'm really glad that this movie exists as it is. Yeah. It is just interesting to imagine what Kubrick would have done yeah, with it. Yeah, because he's covered so many genres. I'm like, mm. what would he have done with the teen stuff? Mm. What would he have been able to do with it? I don't know. I know that he usually, you know, has these like very strong female Mm. central characters, but they're usually 
they're quite a hysterical performance mm, from him. Yeah. And I feel like this all works because Winona Ryder's character, Veronica, is so cool and calm yeah. and collected and can understand right from wrong. Just when I was watching, I was like, I just couldn't imagine this in anyone else's hands. And especially in this era, Kubrick is kind of like coming off epic cinema and then eventually going into more intimate, weird stuff like Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, maybe it'd be more like masks and stuff. Yeah, a few more masks, some Christmas trees and lights around. Mm. This movie so has like the language of those original Archie comics in here. It Mm. so has that look. I think that JD character, the Christian Slater role, is almost like a real messed up version of Jughead or something. And then, of course, one of our characters is literally called Veronica. Veronica. There's another character called Betty. Mm. So I feel like it is taking that language that America would have been so familiar with and then making it dark. And Mm. then... You watch Riverdale, which I'm a fan of. I love Riverdale because I do love Archie so much as well. And to see that like go, yeah, we're doing Archie, but it's like Heathers. To see it kind of come full circle and get that understanding. It's like if Heathers was directed by David Lynch. Mm, Absolutely. Twin Peaks. Yeah, Yeah, Twin Peaks. Yeah, Heathers is Riverdale. It's like the bridging film between Archie the comics to... Riverdale's take on Archie. Yeah, and it is, I feel, equally as dark as Riverdale. Oh, I'd even go a little further down the darkness path, mm. which is what I call any <laughs> any walk across into darkness the is down darkness the darkness path. <laughs> but I would say that if you're a listener of this podcast and you love Riverdale, mm. I really do think you'll get a lot out of watching Heathers, but it does come with a bit of warning because it does talk about quite some controversial and mature themes in a way that's like quite unusual. Yeah, I think you know if you're used to watching teen movies Mm -hmm. there's usually like a lesson or a heart to it yeah and that does not exist in this movie yeah there's a heart but it's a real dark rotten one rotten out it's an amoral world Mm -hmm. that these characters live in it really feels like quite a claustrophobic movie because these teenagers really don't see a future and there's a lot of talk of suicide in the film there's gun violence there's like shootings and stuff that Watching it now can Mm. be quite confronting, so just an absolute warning. If you're not into that, then maybe this isn't the film for you. But I will say it is such a great indictment of American culture and the way it sells itself Mm. through teenagers and through this idea of, like, capitalism and freedom and things like that. And watching these kids kind of see their parents literally destroying the world and being like, I don't want to grow up. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to grow up to be that. So I'm just not going to grow up. Yeah, I would agree with you. This gets like my highest recommendation if that's the kind of thing that you're into. Mm. It is worth watching because I really feel like this like finally feel the gap missing in my film knowledge Mm. watching this movie. I found an incredibly rich text. So it gets a huge recommendation from us here at the Big Film Buffet. If you just watch Heathers and you're looking for a little bit more, there are a few other films on Netflix that I think will like settle that itch for you. I would give Jawbreaker a big recommendation. Yes. As we already did in this podcast, it's right the next one in line. I'd say Easy A, 
that kind of interesting like take on the Scarlet Letter that we had a few years ago with Emma Stone. A few years ago, I reckon I saw that movie in high school, so it's a little more than a few years ago, but I absolutely adore that movie. And then another one that's like a bit of a sleep hit, a hidden gem on there, is Anya Taylor-Joy and the late great Anton Yelchin in this movie called Thoroughbreds, mm. which is really weird, really dark, new take on a teen film. Murderous Horse Girls? Yeah, dude, big time. Yeah, I'm really keen to watch that. I've heard so many good things. I think it's right up your alley. <laughs> it's just a big recommendation from me to Jen Fricker. Thank you. As a listener and uh, purveyor of pod, <laughs> I appreciate the recommendation. <laughs> It really reminded me so much of, and I think we've talked about this before, but I'm not sure. One of my favorite films growing up, and I feel like it says so much about me. You look so embarrassed already. Oh, I can't man. wait to hear what it is. Because it's so cringe. I was obsessed with Donnie Darko growing up. Oh my up. God. <laughs> Which of in course you were, dude. Of course. In hindsight, I'm like, it's so obvious. Oh my I was God. Like, yeah. I know you. I know you. <laughs> like a little arty goth girl who oh just loved God. Donnie Darko and I was like yeah I freaking get it when I did not get it yeah. at all you can't see him but I've got a big tall rabbit called Frank following me around the world right yeah, now man. dude yeah man it's a modern film that was set in the 80s yeah. but it, I feel like inhabits the same yeah. kind of universe like extremely dark comedy yeah it's almost like a supernatural-ish version of Heathers yeah, yeah. and you know it deals a lot with death mm. and alienation and growing up rich in the suburbs and the emptiness of that kind of Reagan era yeah. Yeah. <gasps> commercialization and stuff like that. Can I say something I just had a thought of? Please. Jake Gyllenhaal, male Winona Ryder. <gasps> Same big yes. guys, gothiness about them, yes. intensity. And I think oddball fellas really go, yeah, I love Gyllenhaal, dude. Shut I'm a nightcrawler, dude. Actually, can I tell you something funny? Yeah, yeah. I was going through my notes and I found an email that I'd sent to myself from 2010 mm-hmm. and it was a quote from Charlie Kaufman. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like, of course you... Oh, my like, God, Like, don't dude. you reckon I would have just been the worst, like, cinema bro? Nah, you would have been. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just was like, of course I loved Donnie Darko Oof. growing up. I still feel like that. Those are good films, yeah. but, like, of course I was like, there's a meaning here, man, oh and God. it's bigger than what we That's all so think. That's so good. I think one of the greatest saving graces of my life and career was I had my film bro phase when I was, like, 13. Yeah. So, like, nobody saw it. I had no friends to talk to about it because none of them watched movies like mm. that. So I'm like, I escaped it so cleanly. Far out. <laughs> Heathers is out right now on Netflix. Get around it if you love a dark, dark teen comedy. And make sure you subscribe to The Big Film Buffet on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. This episode was hosted by me, Alexi Tuliopoulos, and Jen Fricker. Produced by Michael Sun and Anu Hasbold. Edited by Jeffrey O'Connor. Executive produced by Tony Broderick and Melanie Marnie. 